Hello everyone. Welcome to our another episode of our podcast podcast with me, Wild 2.0 and Brandon, still not alias. We're trying something new in today's episode, as we told you in the last podcast. Today we've got a special guest with us. Our guest is uh has been a good friend of ours since university and he's a talented software tester. He studied electronic engineering at university and then went on to now become a software tester. So in today's episode, our guest, Blessy, is going to tell us how he went from electronic engineering to being a software tester at ASOS. Brilliant. So Blessy, would you like to tell us some more about yourself? Welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thanks, you guys. Cheers. First time a guest. First time a guest. How does it feel? No, it's good. I think I started hearing about the podcast just just at the end of uni, I think. Final year, right? Sweet. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's around those times. So, yeah, it's good to be here. Nice. Uh, so, I guess a little bit about myself. Yeah. Study electrical engineering. Uh, that kind of came out uh, from my dad just pushing me towards engineering, as all African parents do. <laughs> um, and so, after four years, I wasn't really into the technical side. So, I pushed. So, a recruiter called me for a test engineering role. And it was the first job I landed. I was like, let's play it safe, stick, st- stuck around with it. And then I started realizing it's kind of an interesting path. And then there I am. Sweet, fantastic. I mean, yeah. before all that, let's sort of unpack it a bit. I wanted yeah. to unpack it a bit and ask you, what was your passion as a kid? Passion as a kid? Uh, I think the earliest memories I remember is always like breaking down toys. Nice. So I remember Christmas time, you get toys of all kinds, and I would like, Trying to see what's inside, how does the hand move, what's the mechanism, um, that kind of thing. Breaking a lot of radios down. Um, so always trying to see what's inside. You know, like when you're a kid, you mm-hmm. kind of look at the TV like, these people are actually in the TV? Or <laughs> what's inside? Like mm-hmm. what's generating that signal or whatever that is? Um, so it's just that mindset of trying to break things down and see how they work. Oh, nice. Um, did, did you have any other passions except for that curiosity or? Passions as a kid. Depends what you call kid. Uh, so it's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. So say the ages of um, seven to probably twelve. A lot of what I, I can remember was just playground uh, moments. Like I think my first real entrepreneurship like thing as a kid around like what this is probably before sixth grade or something. Sixth grade was actually. Going to the shops, buying all these kind of Pokemon cars, all these kind of things, and selling them back on the play- on the playground. <laughs> the only thing I didn't know was business, so yeah. I, I used to sell them the same amount that I bought them. So I never made the profit. Yeah, yeah. It was just the act of like exchange and like I guess socially it was it was it was a kind of a good role to pick. Yeah. Um, as the guy that got things for you, where like the shops you grab and all that. Sweet. So that's. Yeah, it was all these kind of thing, like trying to to fit in almost, because I grew up in Belgium, uh, so okay. my whole high school was like a lot of white kids, a lot of like, yeah, I guess you could Arab kids as well, Yeah, but it was predominantly white kids, so I was the only black guy in there, so I felt like I needed an identity, something mm. to rely on, uh, so doing stuff like either stealing stuff or like uh, something <laughs> that would make people remember you other yeah. than you're black. So. Yeah. Wait, did you say stealing? Uh, yeah, 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 so, uh, Allegedly. No. Allegedly. Yeah, Allegedly. you know, like, 
Christian it's been shops. a bit re- rebellious, I guess. Yeah, yeah rebelling, yeah. just yeah. trying to find your identity. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you were mentioning earlier, you said your dad kind of, you know, pushed you a bit towards engineering. Well, what did you actually want to study in uni? Or did you, were you, because you said you were curious about like figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. Did that also maybe help with you leaning towards engineering or? So for me, I was always torn between uh, career and passion. Uh, so the thing I think I wanted to do, because I came from a Christian, uh, Christian high school. So a lot of it was teachers are trying to teach you about missionary, uh, mm. drama, music, that kind of thing. Uh, so the arts was was something I took a lot of my final years in high school. So I took 3D arts, I took uh, drama, music, all, I try to broaden my range of knowledge. Okay. So I really wanted to go into worship ministry or um, something to do with... So I applied, my first thing I applied was for worship school uh, here close to London, actually. Oh, wow. Then my dad saw the application, like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, it was trying to build, because worship is not just music. It, mm. it can be other forms. So it could have been art, could have been uh, songwriting, or stuff like that. So mm. that's that's where I, I thought I wanted to go. But then when you look at life, and I guess you purpose you can also be an engineer so you would say it's like an amalgamation of like what your influence from your dad and sort of you know you trying to chase your purpose yes well my dad rejected the idea and then yeah gave me options and yeah. I picked those oh, okay uh, definitely, so definitely... <laughs> comparing it's like engineering <laughs> it's like you have to be engineer doctor yeah. lawyer yeah those uh, are the only yeah, three there's nothing uh, else I chose the engineering I chose engineering but speaking about that worship part you, you do sing I do, I do. And your dad did give you a guitar. Damn. Yeah, but I, So maybe he still, like, in a way, wanted to still yeah. encourage. You know, parents are two-sided. So yeah. <laughs> facts, facts. You have your, your dad and your mother. So I think my mom could have seen it. She was, all, like, they're definitely, like, a good good cop, bad cop for that type of situation. Mm. So my mom would have seen a talent for music, and I think I also asked for the guitar. Because everyone at Washington used to play guitar, so like, yeah. there's a passion for me to play guitar. Um, and then that was my graduation gift. Spent the whole summer learning it, and then uni as well. I saw the identity in learning how to play guitar. Nice. So uh, fast forward to university right now, right? Um, tell us about your experience of studying in electronic engineering at university. For sure. I think for me it was different because I started as a foundation year, so I got the opportunity to choose or to look at where I wanted to go before the uh, first year. So it was electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and chemical, I think. So, so those were the three main things that we were looking at. Um, so I gained a lot of confidence looking at electronics. I think going back to breaking that toys, it was more of a physical thing I could look at, as well as it wasn't too big, like a mechanical engineer that looks at bigger, bigger projects. So something I could look at and physically like tear down with the safety of knowing that it's not going to kill anyone. Mm. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I definitely related to electrical engineer. Uh, and, yeah, first year was great. Um, there was something about it that clicked in my mind where, mm. like, I, I did a reaction. It was cause, cause and reaction. So, mm. like, when you put a voltage in here, you get a voltage out. So, yeah, it, it was, it made sense to me. And that's why I kept it. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Did, was it was it interesting though, to be honest? Did you feel like For sure. No, like first year we built speakers. Yeah. Uh and you know, I was hearing everyone else like, oh, I have to write this essay, I have to mm. do all these things, but but ours was coursework based, I think you guys as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got to work on actual projects yeah. that you could physically feel and like it wasn't ideology, it wasn't it mm. was it was a bit of theory, but that came later on, like yeah. second year. Same. But like first year they're trying to hook you on like Build the speakers, mm. like who can build the best speaker, so you get your creativity juices out. Do you still have the Lego? Yeah, I do the Lego speaker. No, I don't think I have it. Um, actually, it might be home. I don't remember. Somewhere. Yeah. He, he built a, his speaker was inside of a Lego box. Right. So when you opened it, you thought yeah. it would be Legos, but it was actually. Oh, really? It was actually nice. a speaker. Yeah. I still remember that. Because I was upset at Java, so yeah. anyone who listens to the podcast knows, <laughs> knows how I feel about Java. So Brandon I mean, H. Yeah, we doing that, and then him doing that, I was yeah. like, <laughs> could have been different, could have been different. See. So, but, because you know how you later went on to do software, did any of the modules over the years ah. involve any, like, programming, per se? Because we'll later talk about how you transitioned from that into yeah, software, but yeah, then... Yeah, yeah. Did any of that include any, or was it just strictly practical? For sure, for sure. I think my love for software came around placement year. I took a placement at, at Aston. It was the last place that allowed me, like, that, <laughs> that gave me a job in the end. Yeah. Um, so I came in as uh, the second candidate. So first they had a, a first candidate that we were happy with. Yeah. But they were like, nah, maybe we need a second person for this role. So I was the backup. Wow. So I came in there not knowing uh, really what I wanted to do. Uh, but then the whole project was to to assist uh, the PhD students with a festival that they were planning. It was okay. called uh, Light Fest, uh, uh, Festival of Light. Yeah. So we were building projects for uh, for students uh, for to build up the next generation of uh, engineers and so on. And so we were building light projects for like uh, Arduinos. Um, What's the other one called? Uh, Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Raspberry Pi. It's like a lot of LED projects. Like I built um, a motion sensing LED wall. So you would wow. wave your hand up, like, up on it and the yeah. lights would, just, would light up as well. Like sensors. So, yeah, like yeah. sensors. Uh, so I was really like, my aim for this was really to build something that, was, that would have excited me as a kid. Um, nice. So stuff like that. So I, I got really into like Googling a lot of like uh, you know, Stack Overflow, the rest of it, just yes. to like build this, this, this emotion or like this motion sensing on. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, it turned out to be an if statement. So if this like, <laughs> <laughs> so if this like goes below this, yeah. then turn on the LED. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was something small, but to a kid, it looks like wow. Look at all the engineering that yeah, went into it. That was, yeah. um, so no, it was really good. Uh, and then they started using our projects later on. Uh, after I left, so that was really cool. They they started to build, build on it, oh, build, that's build on it, be more modular. That's sick. So you know, you mentioned Stack Overflow. Do you have a GitHub account? I don't have a GitHub. account. Ah, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, mean, I have a GitHub account, but that's yeah. to look at other GitHubs. <laughs> 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 well, together, that's the only reason yeah. I have one as well. So. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, it's interesting because I guess as a tester, you. Your role is really to build tech. It's more to criticize it and to uh, look at faults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So 
but I guess now the future in my career is looking like we're trying to balance ourselves mm. to engineers as well so yeah maybe I'll start uploading projects that's, it's, it's funny you say that because I bet your activity you know the activity tree on a oh, GitHub yeah. that shows you how many days you come on it it's probably yeah. like empty isn't yeah, it pretty yeah. Much, pretty much. <laughs> yeah that's like mine in the last three months but what's it um, do you remember what language you were um, programming with at that time when you were playing around with sensors and stuff yeah definitely I started in C oh, oh nice yeah um, a lot of a lot of engineering is in C uh, as well as my final year we worked on uh, wow number um this is hardware language um hardware language hardware languages yeah so it was it's a lot more abstract oh, okay. uh, so you would have like timings oh um, so i never really played around with object-oriented languages yeah yes oh, okay. it was a little bit but yeah it took me a while nice well, how did you find it in terms of complexity asc or yeah the languages yeah. you were learning in asc no like, definitely these were basic these were like Especially when you talk about Arduino projects, yeah. like there are there for the hobbyists and the guys that just want to get some yeah, work. But, um, mm. So you don't have a lot of classes. There's no classes mm. at all. Okay. Um, so you just one script, so press and play. Uh, um, so it's quite easy to, to get something running uh, because you, you focus more on building the hardware, yeah. building the circuit, the circuitry. Uh, so your programming chip, when you upload to it, yeah. it doesn't have to that's interesting you say so you're, you're basically saying you didn't really have to focus much on the software architecture there. Yeah, yeah. Your, more, your main concern was on the architecture uh, the way the LEDs yeah. will be yeah, connected yeah. to what sense. and how the chip connects to every like I think we had an array of like uh, a thousand LEDs how like how does it get connected and yeah. how does it trigger each, each one to create an image yeah. that's interesting so would you say your plan was to you know as you're just about to graduate, would you say your plan was to secure an electronic engineering role? Or would you say, you know, you weren't sure? For sure. I think, like most of us, I wasn't sure. Mm. Um, my plan was to go as wide as I could, apply as wide as I could so nice. to get a better probability. Um, so from there, I was applying, I would say, 50% to engineering roles, electrical engineering roles. Okay. Uh, but then I didn't like the idea of being an electrical engineer because uh, a like? lot of people get oh. get it confused with an electric like an electrician yeah so oh. like so when you go back home yeah. ah so you study electrical engineering yeah. come to my house <laughs> yeah. it's one of those ones you know yeah. because we do computer science so my come out fix my laptop my uncle's like you can fix yeah. my prints I'm like, like dude I'm not <laughs> I'm not yeah, a mechanic <laughs> exactly that's alright yeah so the idea of being an electrical engineer is you're still in an office yeah. uh, or you're deployed to like random oil gigs and stuff oh, okay. like that. So it wasn't as, it was a sex secure. Um, so I guess back then I was still looking for that, uh, uh, for that, what's the valley called uh, in the States? Silicon Valley. It's a Silicon Valley lifestyle. Mm. Uh, so I think as a graduate, you kind of feel like you can get there. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I think that's where I started looking at uh, looking elsewhere and finding other types of roles. Sweet. What was it you liked about the Silicon Valley life? Because I can resonate with you, actually. I know yeah. you're talking about. You're talking about what working with startups and getting involved in, you know, the yeah. people who are at the forefront of building the next future technology, basically, mm. right? I think for me, it was... I want to say the money, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the 
technology, the technological stack is cool as well. Um, I think because I just have no idea where, like, where I wanted to go because because mm. I studied electrical engineering, engineering the whole time. So when someone came to me with a tester role, I didn't know what testing was. Mm. So I had to do a lot of research and understand mm. what am I going into. Okay, so speaking of you know how that that job came about, was it just a random role you had applied for, or did someone actually see your CV and call you? So how did you actually go about getting the role as your first role as a software tester? It was a recruiter that came to me, um, and he came to me, I believe, because of testing is a weird one because you don't really need to have a degree in testing to be able to to be a tester. Yeah, so okay. a lot of testers don't study testing. Okay, they come from a lawyer background, a business background, or engineering. Uh, it can be anything. It was more the critical, uh, your critical thinking and your mathematical abilities. Uh, and mm. I think from my CV knew that I did electrical engineering and that's why he recruited me. Um, but how I got the job, it was it was through, um, I guess interview was like a, not a mob interview. Also oh, like a panel, yeah. a panel of people. And it then was. Assessment center. That's it, it was yeah. assessment day. So they had a lot of us in there. And I think I got really competitive and yeah. like wanted to like to like just just be at the forefront of, uh, of all the questions and yeah and that's how I think my passion to become a tester got me in there yeah because testing like I didn't have to write code I just had to show that I can critically think about areas that fantastic that makes sense like are, as long as you're saying as long as you can show your analytical thinking like that's what they care about yeah, right yeah, yeah I think in most roles it's yeah. just if you have a background in understanding and breaking down a problem and seeing where to go from there. That makes sense. So so you just mentioned that you don't have to have a degree per se. Like if you're gonna be a software tester, you don't have to have a degree in testing. Because we studied like computer science, there was yeah. actually a module yeah. dedicated for mm-hmm. software, software testing. testing. <laughs> yeah. And I remember in in, a, in one of my one of the tasks I had to do in my job were doing testing and they were like, oh, this is black box testing. And I yeah. remember, so I knew how my degree, like, because I literally studied. So how did your, like, was there any particular course that, you know, helped or did your degree help you while you were in the role? Or would you say you just had to learn everything brand new? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I guess because testing is very particular and there is no degree as software testing. Um, so it was all my previous experiences that had led me to this point. Mm. Uh, so I remember the language it's called it's called FPGA. Uh, okay. So that's like hardware languages. So that was like the hardest module I ever had to take wow. in my life. Uh, we were <laughs> Can there was there was four of us in my class. It was oh, it was four of you. Why everyone was scared of so Whoa. it so this guy called Mark Everhard. Yeah. Don't look at his LinkedIn. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this guy, um, he was just known. Like since since your second year you, you heard about this guy and how he would grade you. Wow. So first he did stuff like negative grading where you start at zero and you go up. Yeah. Oh. Uh or is it actually sorry, you start at hundred yeah, and then yeah, you, you go down you, so like you go down. So it was very particular, and he wanted his like his students to learn. Mm. So he would have like all these kinds of programs to like check your code is original uh, compared to like a thousand of like databases. Oh wow! And stuff like that. And then because of that, people were scared of it, and it was four of us that did that did this course. 
and only and I think only I finished the last course like because everyone else kind of dropped out and, and didn't submit their last submission and I was only oh. on there so I think that gave me confidence to go after a testing role or like no, to go after uh, more tech and yeah. coding driven mm. uh, career because I knew like because if you can code an FPGA or like you can code an FPGA chip like you'd be okay that's fantastic would you say you're someone that like go out of your comfort zone because I'm hearing you say you know you picked the module that everyone was scared of um, when you were applying you because I'm more of a very how would you put it conservative mm-hmm. so when I started I was applying for like jobs within the modules that I had studied so I wasn't looking like outside of, yeah but throughout now you a couple of times you've mentioned like pop was in the beginning you know now you're saying you went so would you say you're someone who you always you know, push your boundaries or push your comfort zone or I think I I started to learn that or to develop that after my my placement. After my placement was the biggest time of me in terms of confidence and development. Like once I knew that I could create these these projects and that because 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 those days were it was a solo thing. So like you were on your own and you had to research and to buy all the parts. You were very free in, in like the learning. Um, so it was that confidence to like go after and build something and deliver it. Um, so once I knew that I can do certain things, I'm like, I knew my limits. Therefore, I could push the boundaries and yeah. and see and see like if that is still within my boundary. Um, and sometimes those are big limits or like big steps outside of it. Uh, sometimes they're smaller. Like seeking discomfort is definitely one of my uh, my mantra for this year. Yeah, I mess with that. I relate to that as well. But like. If you don't sort of like go outside your comfort zone, you never really know what you're capable of. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Also, I wanted to ask you, would you say your degree has helped you in any shape or form whilst that, you know, like your current role as a software mm. tester? Degree-wise, uh, I think you learn a lot of soft skills. Mm. Um, and those soft skills were definitely, definitely useful. Um, so things like group work, yeah. group, group activities are huge. Because uh, when you're in a team, you need to be able to communicate, uh, making decisions. Um, so soft skills aspect was huge. Uh, placement was a big one. Confidence, um, as well as problem solving, because that's what uni is all about. It could be any degree, but as long as you have problem solving, you're good to go. Um, what else would I say? I would have got from uni. Yeah, project management, hundred uh, percent. Knowing when deadlines are. Uh, just that ecosystem of the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, that's it's interesting for you to say because, you know, if you've for those of you who've heard our previous podcast, we did an episode once where we spoke about whether university was still relevant. So in other words, would you say you have to go to university for <laughs> being a software tester? We, we we always have this, we ask this question yeah. every if, time. You know, should you go to uni or, or for your career? Yeah, or like in your case or or in general, like what's yeah, your general yeah, yeah. view? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like because now we're because technology is exponential. You have uh, Moore's law. You know, technology grows so fast. Yeah. So uni can't keep up with that with that technical aspect of it. That's mm-hmm. why when we come out of uni, things have changed already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say the foundation in terms of your maturity, because uh, when you're eighteen, there's a lot of things you don't have, uh, and that group aspect of being in that ecosystem again mm. of people and peers and like outside society and balancing the life and the work 
Um, those are all, yeah, those are, I think they're critical into, into your development in your career. Uh, but although I said that, I know people that have learned data science just through going to meetups, uh, following courses online. So, so simulating that, that word balance format in terms of meetups and in mm-hmm. terms of pushing yourself out there and meeting people that are working towards that same goal as you and that same career path. That's interesting because it's funny you mentioned the stuff about being 18 and I think one of us mentioned it in, in that episode where we spoke about, I guess, what university allows you to do is be disciplined. Mm. You know, you've yeah. got deadlines by this yeah. date, you've got to do it by then. But whereas if you're trying to do this stuff by yourself without university and if, if you know you're not disciplined, it might be harder because, you know, there's really no deadline. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it all depends on who you are as a person and how disciplined you are. So it's interesting you to mention that and how you work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's interesting. So you, you got your first job as a software tester. Um, so what's your current role now? And if you can tell, because I, I find your, I know a bit obviously of your career progression, so I really want you to like, you don't have to tell us the details, or if yeah, you can break yeah. it down, maybe the years you spent at certain cool. roles cool, cool, cool. to where you are now, because I find it really interesting. I think it will help people to realize they don't have to stay in a place for like yeah, 50 yeah. years, 50 yeah. years before you decide <laughs> to move on. Yeah, so the max I've stayed in the role is one year, and that's ASOS now. Um, so I started my first role uh, as a junior in, or really as a like bottom of the barrel, mm-hmm. um, as a software tester in Leamington Spa for a fintech company. Uh, so I also did one year there, uh, and that really broke me in terms of, in terms of finding relationships, in terms of what it's like working in England and what the professional setting is like, mm-hmm. um, like. What is the hierarchy? What type of companies are, are traditional or like just the movement and the feeling of being able to work? Because that's my first job really yeah. out of uni. So I wanted to keep a foundation there. Uh, but it wasn't until I met uh, a beautiful girlfriend, Shala uh, Lucelli, uh, and she pushed me to, to think bigger because I was really stable. Um, I was getting steady paycheck for a whole year. Um, I wasn't really looking at anything outside of that. I was very decent. Lemon to Spa a beautiful place. There was no hustle, no worry. And then, I f- and then she pushed me to look at broader, bigger, and that's where I pushed and moved to London. Now London is a whole different beast from Lemon to Spa. <laughs> yeah. um, this nice. is where people, you know, live or die. <laughs> and that's why we don't move to London. Yeah, <laughs> no, mean? but that's why you have to move to London Literally. to see how you, like how you, how you mm, cope, how you cope. Yeah. Um. So my first job here was as a consultant for a company called. <laughs> uh, but it was an Indian. It was an Indian consulting company. Uh, and Indians are very like uh, hard workers. Like mm. you were expected to work this much. I think the first thing I signed was a waiver form saying that you will be able to work outside of your hours wow. and be okay with it. I see why you say geek now. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> be okay with it. Um, yeah, so I was then. De- I think I spent a few months in the bench. The bench pretty much means you're looking out for like uh, consultancy that you can go out mm-hmm. to. Uh, and then went to a legal firm. I think that was my first one. I went to a legal firm uh, to work on the software. So basically, the the Google of the legal work. Okay. So essentially, you can Google all the previous cases and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, so that was really cool to work on some stuff like search, stuff like uh, like.
of logging in and like see behavior of how people log in. Um, so from there, I, I think I did a six month project with them. And then I did another six month with, with the Open University. Uh, that was up in Milton Keynes. Um, that was again, very different. Uh, so I saw that in London, people a lot faster in, in their goals, the delivery. Uh, outside of London, I think the British culture is to a big label back, you get the pub every Friday, the cool <laughs> life. It's very slow. Um, yeah. So yeah. Milton Keynes, the Open University, their architecture, very legacy, uh, very Oracle driven. Mm. Uh, so they're spending a lot of money on the software that they have to like, customize. So first, that means that it wasn't their own tech team. It was, it, they're buying software a lot. So spending a lot on that. Um, so worked worked on that as well for a good three months. And then my contract was pushed to six. And that's when I knew because it was so slow. And I knew that as a consultancy, you can't really leave the place you are. And these guys, they were heavily driven on maintenance. And because it's a legacy software, yeah. Yeah. you're not going to build anything on top. You're not going to create something different. Yeah. So oh, that's when I had to, to leave because... Uh, it was a dead end. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then that's pushed me to apply broader again. But this time I was more focused on quality companies than, than just getting a job. Yeah. Because okay. um, that's why I, I was pretty much getting coming to London. I just wanted to get a job in London. That's that's all I needed. But now I was more rigorous in my search. Um, applying things like Google, Amazon, um, the bigger companies that were known for the tech team, their culture, the culture mm-hmm. 100%. Um, the Silicon Valley of London. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's where I was focusing on, and then I landed on ASOS. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So can can you just break that down? Um, when you say you were more rigorous in your search, can you just like so because now you're talking about you wanted a job, but I think now you're going towards a career. And what's the process or what's the mindset to say this is what I want in terms of my career, and I'm not just going for for any job so like what maybe a tip you would give someone or the mindset that they should be in or what they should look out for when they're trying to get a role that's now targeted towards their, their think, career yeah the process is always it's always about the vision you know right it's like uh i mean for me the goal is google so oh okay so whatever is in between doesn't matter <laughs> oh. as long as you go to google and so is so that where you're trying to get to you're, i mean is that is I think it's it's maybe it's a society thing, but like it sounds like Google's the number one company to work for, mm. right? So if you're not going for the number one, who are you going for? That's, uh, well, yeah, so, I guess. Yeah, or 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 then you have your, I guess you can be an entrepreneur and create your own company. But I think for me, I wanted to always learn. Uh, I guess you can learn as an entrepreneur, but Google's was was the place I felt like I would learn the most and be mm. pushed the most, especially with the type of resources and things they have culture uh so yeah so so if google is my my goal then say i go to like primark i don't think i'm gonna reach it i might reach google but uh it's gonna take me a lot longer right so it was trying to get as close as i can to be able to like sidestep or like Mm. move move about to get to get there so so anything that leads to getting the vision and not settling for settling for the long route um for example, I, I know friends that would that have gone to like outside of London so that they can build a career as a senior or or as a as a doctor yeah. and then come into London 
once they have that title mm-hmm. in their job title yeah and then come down to london and, and continue on because it's a lot harder to start in because there's so much that's so crowded that's mm-hmm. interesting then so would you are there any tips you would give to anyone who wants to transition to a role in tech then, like you interesting yeah a tip to transition to a role in tech um oh it depends where you're coming from um any any background Oh, any background. Yeah, uh, you mentioned like lawyers, you yeah. have lawyers and yeah, testers and sure. lawyers yeah, and all this other people. Um, I think it's all about passion and what's your goal again. Um, so the tech world is definitely changing uh, where you have data scientists that are coming out of nowhere uh, just, just mm-hmm. by studying online. Um, so if you can study and you have a proven record of following your dream outside of work um you're definitely able to come into an interview and say that i've been working on this and this i love that uh, passionately and and focused on on proving that i can deliver even though i don't have a job or mm. or or if this is not part of my career um i've been proven passion and i've proven that i can work as a team as well i love that so, because most of I tell the same thing to most of my friends and people in my circle who are trying to do the same thing. I always tell them that work on something like mm-hmm. you know work on something like a a project you're passionate about for that job role. Yeah, do you yeah, see what I'm saying? So yeah. for example, if I really for Google example, I want to get software engineering role in Google. What I would do right now is look at the job role. Is it software That's engineer right. or an AI developer? And in my spare time, I would build something with that tech stack. So if yeah. I, if, they, if Google's application says we're looking for JavaScript, React, and SQL developers, I would use, learn those technologies and then build actual real projects out of it. And that's why I always say, because then it allows them to see your passion. That, okay, this guy really took this thing serious. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And Google doesn't mess with the proper interview project. It doesn't matter which company you're from. If yeah. you can go through that process and pass it, then you're good to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's a rigorous process. Yeah. Three, four interviews, yeah. whiteboards. Uh, you, you know this by heart. It shows like a <laughs> blueprint. No, like, even, even, like, as you're speaking now, I'm starting to think in my head, yeah. like, do I actually have, like, the... I think I have the final goal, yeah. now that you said it, because I remember I saw a man in, in the NHS in the meeting, and I was like, finally, someone that I was, like, a physical representation yeah. of the image I had in my head. Mm. And I asked someone, like, how do you get that role? They're like, oh, only doctors get it. So I was like, ah, okay, but I'm sure there's another way to, to get that role. So now when I'm looking around, like, it's like, okay, what then leads to, to that? And like you're saying it now, you, the way you're saying all the Google stuff, I yeah. <laughs> like, okay, this guy actually, like, that's the, that, that's the goal. Well, that's absolutely, yeah, you're right. It's great because one thing I like that you said is you got to be goal driven. You know, we mentioned this a lot in the podcast yeah. whereby, you know, if you really want to go somewhere, it's better to have a goal. If not, you're just basically wandering around loosely, basically. And yeah, having a goal is really great because it gives you something to sort of pursue. You know at least where you're going. If there is no goals, you're basically lost. That's right. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. So um, so are there any like any resources that you would you know suggest for people who either want to go into tech or like you're speaking about being goal driven? Um, any resources you would recommend that they could look at, study or read? To go into tech, um. I think it depends on what you're going into tech for. Uh, software testing, let's say. Software testing. Yeah. Whew. Uh, software testing. There's a lot of... Oh, man. Software testing is a different beast. Because <laughs> it's, it's definitely focused on 
on the soft the soft skills, right? Uh, the critical thinking, the rest of it. Uh, so some people would say go through a, a Sudoku, um, but a lot of puzzles. Um, but software testing, I would say it's a minor mindset. Uh, you kind of have to be a, a real pessimistic. Uh, in what sense? Yeah, pessimistic in the sense that I guess code is not perfect. Uh, mm. So finding ways and or understanding that this will probably break. Um, mm. Like how can I test this to be able to to spot vulnerabilities um, and also spot lags and the rest of it. Um, so it's being able to be driven to look at future technology, uh, to look at. Uh, the tools that you use to be able to dissect this code or dissect this program. So I think it's always looking at what kind of tech is out there and how can I use this tech to to break this technology. That's fantastic. You said um, and interesting because one of our lecturers uh, he told us that we had like the star developer, the best program known. Yeah, <laughs> he used to get like a hundred percent in all yeah, his uh, yeah. work. But there's this specific lecture who only used to give him ninety nine percent, even though he got it right. Wow. And then some student asked him, you know, how come you always give this guy a 99? And he's like, yeah, he's, he's 100%, but no code is 100% bug-free. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely right. Like, there's always bugs in code. No code is absolutely perfect. Yeah, That's yeah. true. Another thing I wanted to add on to that as well is that what you said about, you know, looking into the future of your role. Mm. Like, one, one thing I like to do now with the stuff I'm doing is always look at what the new technologies are what the new tech stacks yeah, and sort yeah. of like immerse myself with them yeah. so that whatever comes you know I'm basically ready and I'm able to you know build the web so exactly yeah. so I agree with that yeah no this has been fun but before I let you go because I'm looking around and I remember you read a lot and this is something we haven't done in a while it's yeah. so just I think earlier we used to suggest like the books that maybe one of us are reading so you have been doing a lot of reading in the last couple of months is are there like five books? Five, yeah. Because I, I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> no, I've gone through your Instagram and I'm sure they're definitely up to four that you've shown in the last like four months. Yeah, yeah. So like maybe some books you're reading right now that you would suggest for, for people to look at. So yeah, uh, the reading thing, yeah, it only happened this year. Like I, I couldn't finish a book before. Uh, and I realized the biggest thing that pushed me to reading is realizing that is. I'm reading for myself and not for anyone else. Okay. So in like in high school, you need you're forced to read books for the entirety because you have this essay to write at the end. Mm. Um, so that killed me and that turned me off from uh, <laughs> from books in general, which just sucks because I because I realized um, I think the first book that that triggered it. Uh, I want to say the four hour work week. Facts. <laughs> uh, but there's also another book called Boundaries that was really good. Um, but it's just it's, it's those books that pushed me into like something I didn't know about myself. Um, mm. So, and 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 especially I read them to learn something and not to finish them. Uh, okay. So that means that. Fantastic. So that means that that I basically get a book, and if it doesn't excite me, and if it doesn't convey a new ideology or a new or something new then i'll probably drop it and that's that. okay um so there's a lot of books that have done that so i guess in the 21st century and right now i think um so the four hour work week is a good start uh that's that's because it's it's quite broad in its sense because it looks at why we're 
we're working the nine to five. Mm. So it talks about trying to cut as much as the unneeded stuff that you do. Uh, next, I would go with the power of habit. That's another great one. Just talking about the the habits that we that we do every day. Uh, apparently, ninety percent of the things that we do are based on a habit or based on something that we just do generally. So it's not free will. So and that's by who? Uh, Power of Habit by Charles uh, Dughig, Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Those are the main ones because uh, those ones usually push you to a to a place that would and, and allow you to look at books and grab other books that you want to read instead of other people suggesting books. That's really good. Actually, um, one of the books you mentioned, Four Hour Workweek, that was one of the first ones I got as well. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was a great book, and I would recommend it. But to add on to that, one thing I really liked that you said was, you know, when I was growing up, when I was in secondary school, I used to think to myself, if I get a book, I have to finish it. You know, I just like, just go get any book and then finish it. But then as I've been growing up, I realized that, you know, people always ask me, I don't read, but I want to start reading. How can I start reading? Um, and what, what should I look into? I said, I don't know. Read something you're interested in. Sure. And then they'll be like, what? I said, if it's a comic book, go read that first. You just want to build that habit of reading first. And then, you know, going to make it harder. You know, there's this saying I saw online, which is pretty cool. The heavier weights you build, the bigger and stronger your muscles. The heavier books you read, the bigger your intelligence or your brain becomes, basically. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so yeah, I, I like yeah, the fact yeah, that yeah. you said that. And I would say, yeah, reading books is, um, just read books you, you, you enjoy. And just, you don't have to be, you know, reading what everyone else is. And another thing I liked that you said was once you've learned what you needed to learn in that book, or you don't find interest anymore, you go to another book. Yeah, absolutely. It's not necessary that you have to finish books. So yeah, I, I really like that you've mentioned those points. 100%. Yeah. I'm definitely doing that, like just grabbing books here and there. Um, another great book is Why We Sleep. Shook me. Um, so yeah. What's that about? Why We Sleep? Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, no, Why We Sleep, man. It's... Okay, so basically, like, we, we spend like eight, mm. eight, nine hours a day of our day sleep. Yeah, the normal human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the normal. Yeah, so there's a reason why animals sleep. There's a reason why we sleep. Uh, why is that? That's what you find out. <laughs> okay, interesting. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Sweet. Um, yeah, we really appreciate for you yeah. doing this podcast. Um, feel free to, you know, come through anytime as well. Uh, maybe when you get to Google, we can do another episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, you that's can tell us how Google is and, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. We really uh, appreciate Thanks. it. Shout out to Blessy for um, doing the podcast with us. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, is there any way, like, if people have any questions, can they contact you? Is there any way they can contact you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Blessy, uh, B-L-E-S-S-Y underscore G. Sweet. Yeah, so check out Blessy's Instagram. Message him if you have any questions. And likewise, if you have any questions for us, let us know. So now we're going to move on to our Tech in Africa segment. Okay, guys, today we are going to be talking about a, a logistics startup called Cobo360, who have just gotten a $30 million funding. Um, and what their company basically does, which I kind of think is an innovative way where people have applied basic stuff that we do in Africa, but applying tech into it. And they, um, the basic important is that they take, you know, goods from one country 
to another. And that's something Americans have been doing for a long time in terms of their truck driving business, which, which is one of the largest economy um, business in, in America. And now you have this company in Africa who have just gotten 30 million funding from it. And of course, now when container is involved, it has to be an Igbo man. <laughs> when tech is involved, it has to be a robot guy. Yeah, so it's um, Obi Ozo and Ife Oyeda. Um, is it Dele? Oyeda, Oye Dele. Who um, started this. And yeah, Wale uh, 2.0 with all us more. Sweet. So yeah, as usual, um, I'm going to provide you guys with the facts about Cobra 360. So Cobra 360 is basically a digital logistics startup that allows cargo owners to request for freight trucks to pick up their goods and deliver it to a specific location. And this can be done on a mobile device or on the web. Cobra 360 was launched in Nigeria in 2017 by Obi Ozo and Ife Oyedele, as Brandon told us. The haulage tech startup has so far moved 500 million kg of goods and have signed up a fleet of over 10,000 drivers and trucks. They provide services to small and medium-sized enterprises as well as over 80 large enterprises such as Dangote Group, DHL, Unilever, and more. The company recently closed a 13 million funding round and their Series A funding comes at a perfect time where Africa is set to see a 16% increase in regional trade, which is great. So Brandon, you know, we've been hearing this talk about the trade deal in Africa. Could you, could you tell us more about it? What do you know about it? Yeah, so it's um, basically it's the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which it's now, you know, when I actually, I'll diverse a bit because when I first uh, was reading on it, I remember when um, E123 was telling us that Africa wants to make one currency and he was talking about Gaddafi yeah. in, in, um, in uni and we're thinking like, okay, calm down. But, you know, <laughs> this is something that um, Africa should probably have done. Um, so this will be, become one of um, the world's largest trade agreement since the beginning of the trade organization. 50 nations have um, signed up for it, but I think by now it's 54, yeah. um, according to one of the readings. And yes, with a population of over 1.2 billion people in Africa with a GDP of $2.2 trillion, you know, Africa would become like one of the largest single markets in the world. Yeah. Basically. So what, what the trade, um, the free trade agreement means is that we'll be able to export from one country to another without having to pay particular fees. Uh, for example, when you buy something from, um, buy an item now and we see made in China, there's like a fee that's paid for those things to be transported, which is one of the issues we're having with the EU and um, Brexit, because that's one of the things they're trying to sort out. Would the trade deal allow, you know, people to move medications in from from Europe into the country freely, or would they have to pay for it? So if you think about what Africa is going to be doing with this, it means I can sell my goods without having to deal with this particular cost or certain rules, which would allow for us to trade easier, which would allow for us to help each other's economy better and not have to export certain things from other other nations, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think you explained it. You're, you've probably explained it well better than me, to be honest. But just to add on to what you've just basically told us, for those of us who are not aware about this, you know, Africa free continental trade deal, all countries in Africa, apart from Eritrea, have signed a free trade agreement, which aims to remove 90% of tariffs on goods made in Africa. This agreement is said to be the world's largest trade zone since the establishment of the World Trade Organization in 1994. 
If successfully implemented, the agreement will connect to more than 1.3 billion people and could create more than $3.4 trillion in the volume of goods and services. So essentially, to put it in simple terms, the aim of the agreement is to allow goods and services to flow freely in and out of countries in Africa. Now, in regards to COBRA 360, they plan on capitalizing on the agreement by adding 25,000 drivers to their platform and they are also looking to expand into 10 new African countries by the end of 2020. This is a great opportunity for Cobra 360 because an increase in regional trade could raise the demand for efficient cargo delivery and other haulage companies. But what's your thoughts on this, on this deal, to be honest? Yeah, I think, well, on the, on the trade deal itself. Yeah, on the trade um, deal itself, yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, it's long um, overdue. It's facts. To be honest. I was reading, um, no reading, huh? I was watching um, something on YouTube called um, The Faces of Africa, and they were speaking about, trying to remember his name, he's a Ghanaian man who fought for their independence. Mm. Um, if anyone there knows it, they can probably put the name in the comments. So he was at that time wanting to create one Africa. The same thing similar to what Mandela was trying to do. Um, they were trying to create a, a system whereby Africa are dealing with Africa, right? And I believe like this is something that, although, yes, it will come with a lot of issues because it's still young, we're still learning, but it's going to create so many opportunities for, especially for the middle-class people who can make the most out of the opportunity that will come with this, you know, in terms of farmers um, exporting their goods out of the country, um, countries can, you know, sell their stuff easier to other countries without having to pay the fees of shipping to Europe, you know, or people like cutting their cost to some extent, because it's almost like, quote unquote, a privilege for you to sell to, forgive my non-politically correct answer, uh, quotation, to sell to the white man, you know. Mm. But now you're selling to each other. If, if I need something that South Africa has, it's easier for me to get it and not having to deal with so many loopholes that would have had to deal with in the past. So I think it's, it's going to come with a, with a lot of opportunities. Obviously, it's going to also create a lot of, of um, economical growth in terms of the, the money involved. And I think um, Cobalt 360 are very smart for plugging themselves in and for actually having created something that would perfectly suit this trade deal, to be honest. Absolutely. You know, um, I think, you know, there's one thing about startups that me and my friends always talk about is that they always seem to come at the right time. You know, just like uh, Instagram came in at the advent of the iPhone. Do you see what I mean? That meant that, you know, Instagram was only available on mobile phones, basically. And that was a huge advantage for Instagram. Same for Cobra 360. I think they literally come in at the right time, whereby a new trade agreement has now been introduced in Africa, which they will benefit a lot from. And also in regards to the trade agreement, I think it's fantastic. You know, it's a huger deal than we are making it out to be. Trust me, like yeah, I would yeah. advise anyone who is interested to read up more on it. We'll put some links in the, in the information of our podcast so that you guys can read up more about it. But essentially, the trade agreement will boost intra-continental trade, help local businesses to expand and grow and create jobs and facilitate industrialization. So I think this is great. However, we can't just speak about the good things without being aware of, you know, the downsides or the things that must be sorted out, you know, sorted first. There are challenges the governments in Africa must overcome first, such as, you know, poor infrastructure with the roads, um, security issues, certain borders in African countries. Like 
the minute they can sort these out, I think the deal is really going to be beneficial for, for every country in Africa because there's no point saying, okay, we're going to, you know, slash tariffs by 90%, but there's road issues. Do you see what I'm saying? Like people aren't able to deliver goods because some roads in Africa have high in terrible conditions and also certain borders aren't safe to cross. So I think the minute they could, you know, sort out these challenges, I think, yeah, the deal is going to be really beneficial for Africa. Moving on to um, more about Copper 360, you know, one thing that really got me interested in this company that I really, why I really wanted us to speak about it is this specifically, the fact that they invest in their drivers. So in terms of investing in the drivers, Copper 360 are creating a range of products focused on drivers' welfare, such as Copper Safe, which provides insurance cover, Copper Care, which is an incentive-based education program for the families of the drivers and more. And here's a quote by one of the founders, which I really like. They were kind of taking shots at Uber here. One of the founders said, the day you neglect your drivers, you are not going to have a company. Only issues. If Uber were more driver focused, it would be a trillion dollar company today. And it's true. It's hard facts. I really respect the fact that they, you know, invest so much in their drivers. So what do you think about this brand? Yeah. Um, funny enough that he mentioned Uber because when I started reading up on it, I thought, oh, so this is Uber for truck drivers. And yeah. when he took the, the dig at Uber, I was like, ah, okay, makes sense. Um, <laughs> sending shots. Yes, yeah, sending shots. But to be honest, I think this is what long-term um, a lot of African companies need to do, right? They need to make the their employees feel valued and not, you know, treat them like you're lucky to have a job because of us, which is something that happens a lot in a place like Nigeria. And by making your employees, in this case, the drivers, feel valued and giving them all these incentives that not just helps them, but their families as well, yeah. also means that they would give you that maximum effort, right? means that they would, they would also want to, you know, repay you for, you know, for the good you're, you're doing to them. They can actually come and enjoy their job and not have to worry about, about certain things. You know, so a lot of times people create companies and businesses and are so driven on, on money and, uh, and the revenue part where they start to neglect the, the people, you know, who actually make the stuff happen at the end of the day. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with what you said. I mean, I'll be honest, maybe I haven't read enough about startups in Africa. I haven't read enough, you know, about the new ones, but I think like this is probably one of the first articles or first companies I've seen doing this in Africa. And, you know, in a place like, or Nigeria to be specific, and in a place like, you know, Africa or Nigeria, where you got many people living in poverty, essentially, mm. the fact that a company is able to do this and figure out, okay, how can we hire employees and ensure that they're not living in poverty and also ensure that their kids also, you know, sort of that as well. I think that's fantastic. It's like you're creating a, uh, domino effect that's not only going to benefit you know your employees but their families as well and i think another company i think that does this well as well is a company you know i like to speak about here which is um hotels ng you know um hotel ng does it in a way whereby you know if you intern if you're a developer and you intern at that company you're definitely going to learn a lot of stuff and wherever you do go after that you're definitely in demand and it's great for you so i like the fact that companies in africa are basically investing in their employees investing in their in the people who drive the company and ensuring that you know that they are sorted out. So I think this is great. Yeah. Um. You, when you said domino effect, there's something I was going to mention about that, the the trade deal, and when you were speaking about the roads and things like that, I also think that the fact that this is in place, we might for once see a positive domino effect, whereby 
because of this deal, people would have to, you know, government would have to fix up their roads. You know, they would have to do better with security in the borders. They would have to do better with securities on, on the road and not having having this, um, you know, because all these trucks who are shipping this stuff could be blocked on the road. They could be robbed. But yeah. uh, like the government would, you know, would have to step up because can you imagine I'm trading with um, Zimbabwe and every time my truck goes there from maybe Ghana, it's always targeted. They would have to have a word with each other and try and sort it out. So we could actually see a, a, a domino effect in terms of like there'll be better security, better roads. And who knows, even with those better roads, tourism can improve because then we can drive from one place to another. Um, you know, the flight tickets might become cheaper because, you know, flights would have to ship stuff from one country to another. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Facts. Um, so, yeah, final words for me. I just hope a robust implementation is put in place for the African Free Trade Agreement because it will benefit startups like Cobble 360 and Africa in general. If they could sort out, like you said, and we alluded to earlier, if they could sort out the major issues such as the roads, the poor infrastructure, and, you know, the security concerns, I think, yeah, like this trade agreement is basically going to change Africa for, for the good of it, basically. Yeah. What about you? Any final words? Yeah, I think... Couple 360, great. Like they just inserted themselves perfect. It, it's like a glove that fits perfectly with this um world trade deal. I'm just hoping that they don't. I mean, fair enough. They get your bag, secure your bag, but they shouldn't monetize it. I was about to take a shot at Dangote how he's monetized a lot of things in in Nigeria. Yeah, because the way you have Uber, Uber has allowed you know other companies to create their own like similar taxi stuff. Yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, people can plug into their idea and use that to create opportunities for themselves as well. Yeah, when you say monetize in terms of Cobra Three Hundred and Sixty, can you expand what you're saying? Um, no, because in in Africa we have the tendency to I was there first. Yeah, right. So ship through us. Mm, I see what you're saying. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're coming in. They can kind of make it. They like. Dangote's thing was branding and just being there first. Yeah. So now everything is Dangote cement, <laughs> Dangote salt, Dangote rice. And then he just kept buying, like investing in everything and his yeah. brands took over. Yeah. Not in a lot of rooms for for others. But I'm yeah. hoping that people can look at Cobalt 360 and say, oh, we can also come into this market. Yeah, um, absolutely. And when you have competition like that, it allows other companies to grow. No, absolutely. What you said is actually interesting because in terms of haulage and transport startups, a lot of them have received um, funding. And I do get where you're coming from. You know, there's companies in, um, there's another company like Cobra 360 in Kenya. I can't remember their name, but they've also uh, received funding. I believe it's an undisclosed amount. There's a great surge of haulage and transport companies in Africa that are really gain an investment and gain traction, which I think is is great, to be honest. And yeah, also, you know, just to add on to what I was saying in two previous podcasts, because people might say to to me that, oh, yeah, you know, Bartu Pono is being hypocritical. He was saying that he doesn't want to see like companies like Uber, you know, or, you know, African companies make their own version. That's not really what I was saying. I was just saying I would love to see, you know, fresh new ideas that haven't been seen before in Africa. Do you see what I'm saying? Of course, it makes sense to have you know, taxi services and, you know, Uber and stuff like similar companies like that in Africa, because yeah, if we don't have it, 
let's introduce it because it makes people's lives easier. Yes. So that's basically what I wanted to say. That's it on my side anyway. Um, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. And, you know, let us know how you like the guests we've introduced or let us know how you like this podcast, actually. Um, our next guest is actually going to be another interesting one. We're planning on having more guests, so um, keep a lookout. And if you have any questions or any suggestions, feel free to let us know. If anybody wants to create a website or mobile app, feel free to let us know. And yeah, we just hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Take care, guys. Thank you.